2 Corinthians 11, 7 through 15, and verse 20, if you would please follow in the reading of the word. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do love you. God knows it. But... What I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity for those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we in the manner about this they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if any of his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose ends will be according to their deeds. Then verse 20, for you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. Father, help us to have ears to hear this. Father, open our hearts that we may understand Father, may we understand the the desperate time in which the Apostle Paul was fighting. And Father, how much it has grown this day. Father, may may we be teachable. May we hunger and thirst for righteousness. May we long for your presence. And yet, Father, may we be busy about our Father's task. Lord, as the Apostle Paul was defending his integrity and his character, may we be sensitive to those that are truly your servants that are sent into our lives. But Father, may we also discern and not be gullible to those who are deceivers. Help us, Lord, to hear you and to stand firm in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. To you, my Lord, to my Savior, to my King, in Christ. Amen. We've been going through this letter, 2 Corinthians. We started out 1 Corinthians, and we realized that there was four letters that were written. We have two of them. And what had happened is the Apostle Paul had founded a church in Corinth, and had spent two years there. And during that two years, had strengthened it, brought in other leadership, strengthened it up, and then he went on to Ephesus. When he got to Ephesus, he had found out some people had come in behind him after he had left, and were discrediting the Apostle Paul. For numerous reasons, several accusations. So the, the, the technique that exists is this. If I can discredit the teacher, then you will discredit his teaching. And that's the subtlety of it. That, that is going on this very day. Churches throughout this country. There is a subtlety that is, that is happening that people are not aware of. They're not paying attention to it. And, and, you know, we get busy. we got a lot of things going on. I don't hold it up to what does the Bible say, nor the man. In this letter, we find out that there was a letter that was written called the severe letter. We do not own that. We don't know where that's at. We don't know what happened to it. But he called them out. 
And in doing so, the true believers in the church in Corinth had turned back to the Apostle Paul. And that relationship has been restored to the point where he was going to come back by and pick up an offering for Jerusalem that he was going to take to the saints who were basically starving to death in Jerusalem. So he had that kind of on his mind. And yet the whole time through the first 10 chapters of this letter, he is basically telling the Corinthians, look at what I have done, what God has done through me in your presence during those two years. And do I not line up? And he's basically defending his character, who he was, and that he was sin of God. But then in chapter 11... Through halfway through chapter 12, he just takes both barrels to the false teachers, to the false accusers. And what I have this one side of my humor that thinks this is hilarious because this letter, probably Apollos, would have gotten up and read to the congregation. And so when he gets to this point, those who were falsely accusing the Apostle Paul are probably trying to crawl under the chairs. Okay, but they need to. And what you see in this text now, 11 through halfway through 12, is what I can kind of look at is what is spiritual warfare? You hear it mentioned. Hollywood makes movies about it. And, and, And we all say, look, spiritual warfare. Well, the truth of the matter is that's not what it is. It is, and we've kind of looked at it already in chapter 10, that it is speculations and lofty thoughts raised up against the true knowledge of God. Okay? Spiritual warfare is for the mind. What do you think? Okay? But what happens is you get guys and some women will come in and they will speak. And they're very polished. And you say, well, they must truly be. And the Apostle Paul is giving us here in this section the difference between the true and the false. And we, uh, I have a letter I just received. And I want to share it to you. And after I get done reading it, I'll tell you who wrote it. And then I'll tell you when he wrote it. Okay? It's called, If I Were the Devil... All right. If I were the devil, I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apples on the tree. So I'd set about however necessary to take over the United States. I would subvert the churches first. I would begin with a campaign of whisperers. With wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper, the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what is bad is good and what is good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, our father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. 
I would threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could, and I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction, and I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I would soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have a mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions. Just let those run wild until before you knew it, you would have drug sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in Jesus' church, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I have killed the incentive of ambition. What do you bet I could get whole states to promote gambling as a way to get rich? I would caution against extremes of hard work and patriotism and moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage was old-fashioned, the swinging is far more fun, and that what you would see on TV is the way that we should all be. I would lure you into the bed with diseases for which there are no cures. In other words, if I were the devil, I would just keep doing what I am doing. Okay, you know who wrote that? Paul Harvey. You know what year? 1965. The subtlety hasn't changed, brothers and sisters. It hasn't gone away. And yet we all smile and say, Wow, no, not me. But that's how it works. The Apostle Paul has been focusing on his authority. Why? Because they had attacked his character. Now he's dealing directly with the false. And he's dealing with the subtlety. And I want to start on this because I have the mark of the true and the mark of the false. The mark of the true is they are humble. They live in truth. And they are consumed by love. mark of the false is that they're prideful. They're deceptive. And they're abusive. Alright? I can look around today... And see that we have made a virtue out of lying. The craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. My uh, uncle and great-grandfather and grandfather were horse traders. And I mean literally. They made their living dealing with horses. My great-grandfather was into thoroughbreds. Uh, my uh, uncle and uh, grandfather were into palominos. We're well known, but they always did it with a handshake. There were no contracts. They just shook hands. 
And I watched what our, our society has managed to accomplish, and it is in the church. There's nothing honorable anymore. We just kind of go through it. And, and I look at that and I think, what happened? Where is a person's, just the fact that your yes is a yes, your no is a no. And when, when, I, when I think about it, I, I look at this text and I know it hasn't changed. The issue is still the same. The difference between a true teacher, a true servant of God, and a false is they're motivated by money. The true isn't. The true isn't. The Apostle Paul says, told the Corinthians, Did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? Is that a sin? Now think about it today. I know several pastors in this town right now that are making six figures. And I meet with them on a regular basis and we sit and we talk. And, and they tell me things. And they said, well, we did a demographic study of Castle Rock. And then, I don't even know what that is. But they did them. And, and they said, there are enough people and income in this town to support another 50 churches. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. To make my money. Now, if you ask them, did you come here for the money? They'll tell you no. But they'll make statements like that to me. And I kind of, hmm. Underlying Paul's comparison between the true and the false. The, it is basically money. And I'll, I'll unfold this over the next few weeks. Listen, the false are always in it for the money. The false don't stick around for suffering. Did you know that? It's kind of an odd thing. I've never, I've never really noticed that. But they don't. If they're suffering in it, because I tell these new guys coming into town, you know, I've been in this town since 1979. And these guys that are coming in now, and I said, will you stay when your mother church, the church that sent you, quits paying you? And, of course, they all say yes. But I can't tell you the number that have left because the mother church quit paying them. Listen, the true servant of God, the the true preacher, the true teacher, is seeking only to strengthen the souls of men. And he'll do it for free. And one of the ways that you can spot them is their humility. And you know why? Because humility is so rare. It stands out. It's, it, it's, it's almost stunning. The true apostle, whether it's capital A or little a, the word apostle is apostolon. Uh, it literally means sent messenger. Okay? The apostle Paul was sent by the resurrected Christ. That's capital A. Technically, what I do is as an apostle of Christ, I'm a sent messenger. Jesus Christ has sent me to study study his word, show myself a worker approved, rightly dividing truth and sharing it with anybody that will listen. And a true apostle will be characterized by self-sacrificing humility. And it is so strange to see in this day and age that when you see it, it stands out. 
verse 7 here, you see the word or, and he's like, I need to make this jump into something. Or, okay, remember he's coming out of the first six verses, okay, and he's kind of set the stage here. I want you to understand. He's asking a simple question, but he's, it's the part of Paul that I love the best. It is dripping with sarcasm. Okay, did I sin against you because I didn't charge you for the gospel? (laughs) I love that guy. (laughs) He's going to be fun to hang out with. Paul says, has my preaching to you, the preaching the gospel without accepting any money on it? Does that make me guilty of some sin? That I gave it to you for nothing, that I worked among you for two years, but going from house to house teaching you what the word of God says. And I didn't charge you a nickel for that. And that is somehow a sin. All right. The implication is the false have accused him of not charging money. Okay, the Corinthians had been convinced that one of the evidences that Paul was a fake is that he didn't take money. And we look at that today and say, really? Now, wait a minute. Be careful, because every one of us in this room are guilty of this. If the guy's got something to say and he's willing to do it for nothing, how important is it? There are politicians that will charge $250,000 to give you a speech. How important is what they say worth that money? But yet we exalt them. Well, yeah. Why would you do that? Satan, through false teachers, had twisted the Corinthians and that they would question the Apostle Paul's integrity. They would question Paul's character. They would question his legitimacy. Did Christ send him? Does he really have authority? If he really has authority and he really was sent by God incarnate, how come he's doing it for free? How can that be? Verse 6, he says... If I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, in every way, we have made this evident to you in all things. That is why the word or is there. Why? I am unskilled. Paul admits being unskilled. The root of that word in the original language, he's he's, he's an amateur. He's an amateur. Chapter 10, verse 10, he says, For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. And the Apostle Paul says, you know what? I am an amateur when it comes to public speaking. They say Paul lacked the ability. He was a lousy public speaker. He was dull. Paul had no flair when he spoke. Paul was not clever. He had no new philosophy. He had no new depth of insight, a higher knowledge. He had no pizzazz. He doesn't even belong among professional speakers. Now listen. I want you to go back through your short history and tell me, politicians that you see who were exalted tell me what they did and tell me if they were a polished speaker or if they did what they said go back and look at it 
Because that's what you and I are attracted to. It doesn't really matter what they say. How did they say it? Wow! He could just fill the room with his presence. But what does he do? Fills the room with his presence. He doesn't do nothing. Think about it. Just in our generations, just here, there are people who have crossed your path. I came through, I remember listening to Kennedy. Now, dude, Kennedy can speak. But if I go back and really look at what he did, he got shot. <laughs> I mean, I can't really say, you know, wow, he just, I don't know. But he could speak. We are drawn to that. I want him to turn a phrase. I want him to hold my attention. But this Paul guy, he's just a common amateur. He doesn't even belong with the professionals. You know what Paul said? You're right. I'm an amateur. I can't do it. All Paul talks about is Christ and him crucified. There's got to be more. I remember a pastor that used to be in this church years and years ago who I sat with one time and he looked me straight in the eye and he says, sometimes people need more than the Bible. Really? I looked him right in the eye because I'm so full of wisdom. When is that? When is it a person... Needs more than the Bible. Because I'd like to make a note on that one so that I would know when I've arrived at that position. Because what he was saying is there are times when people are more drawn to the cleverness of human wisdom. But the cleverness of human wisdom, I just read to you by Paul Harvey in 65. He'd already told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians that I did not come with words of human wisdom. I did not come with clever speaking. I came with simple terms. Do you know the King James Bible was written for an 8th grade education? I find that fascinating. And I tell people have, you know, will come to me and they'll say, well, I just don't understand that book. You know what my first question is? Have you ever read it? <laughs> I've never really had any problems understanding it. Things in there that I are kind of beyond, whoa. Okay, but I mean, no, nah, just read it. Paul came proclaiming, preaching, foolishness. He preached Christ and Him crucified. He didn't have any fancy rhetoric. He wasn't a debate master. He didn't have oratory skills. He wasn't creative. And you know what? All of that is very popular among the Greeks. But you know what else? How popular is it today? Just think about it. I like what? To be entertained. Isn't that it true? The foolishness of preaching? Paul says, no, 
I'm an amateur. Just an amateur. He says, but that's okay. That is the issue of verse 7. Did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach the gospel of God to you without charge? Among the Greeks, a skilled speaker, a skilled philosopher was considered a professional. I know people right now in, that have churches that on staff they have counselors. You know what they call them? Professional counselors. You know why? I can tell you why. Health insurance will pay for it. Health insurance will pay for it. What's the pastor's job? I know I can't get health insurance to pay me. But do you see what I'm trying to get at? See, we like to say, well, this thing was written about 55 A.D. Things have changed. We've gotten smarter. No, we ain't. Truthfully, the longer I live, the more gullible it seems like humanity is. And I mean, you just sort of, you know, well, I don't think anybody would fall for that. Listen, I grew up with pet rocks. Really? Let's be realistic here, people. Somebody went out and got a rock, put it in a box and says, give me your money. And they did. And you're sitting there going, wait a what? what? Okay, the only thing I hated about them was I didn't think of it. <laughs> I wish I'd have thought of it. I don't, I, one dump truckload, I'd have been a billionaire. The Greeks, if you go into history... You guys know I love history. A professional philosopher or speaker would literally travel from town to town and make public speaking. He'd go city to city and marketplace to marketplace and he would do it for a fee. And the more listeners he would get, the more he could charge for his fee. Okay? I have people who contact me on a regular basis saying they're willing to come and invest in this congregation. And here's my fee. I remember a lady one time I preached at a little bitty church in uh, Zminka, Russia. What they were doing, the, the, the Russians celebrate... Their calendar's a little bit off of ours, but what, what they do is they celebrate the Annunciation. Okay, that's when... Uh, the angel told Mary she was with child. And they basically do that nine months before Christmas. And so that's their holiday. They have a holiday for that. And they asked me to come and speak at this church for that holiday. And I was like, wow, what do you preach when the angel came and spoke to Mary? So I <laughs> preached out of Revelations. Let me explain to you this little bitty baby. Okay, because, you know, you want to talk about a little bitty baby, baby in a manger. Check out what he turns into. Okay, and that's, so that's, this lady, after I got done, this lady was weeping. I mean, profusely. I was like, oh, did I say something wrong in Russian? Anyway, so she does this a couple of times. I'm just standing there and she goes into the back. And then she comes back around to me and she hands me a bag of eggs. 
And I was like, in America, they throw them. But no. Uh, she hands me these eggs, and then through the interpreter, the interpreter says, I have no money. Uh, and God brought you to explain that to me, and I am so encouraged. This is all I have. A bag of eggs. Now get that on your carry-on. Okay? So we took him back to where I was staying, and we made some kind of ravioli thing out of him. But that moved her so much that she went and gathered up her chickens and gathered her eggs and brought me those eggs. And I thought, I don't want them. But then I realized that if I tell her that, I might insult her. So I'll take your eggs and try to get them to America without breaking them. There are guys who run around even today, going from city to city, handing out handbills and flyers or business cards or email addresses or some kind of on-the-web thing. Uh, And guess what? They're selling their wisdom. People go to here, they gather a crowd, they charge a fee. And the Greek philosophers used to call it, he lived by his craft of a professional speaker. Articulate, polished professionals. A speaker who refused pay, refused money, would be labeled as an amateur. That is what the false had said of the Apostle Paul. That's why he says, did I commit a sin by humbling myself and not charging you for the gospel? Okay. Paul didn't take any money. Why? Because he knew he was an amateur. I'm not here to be a professional speaker. The Greeks used to go down to the river and take pebbles and they would put them in their mouths and try to articulate with the pebbles in their mouth so they would learn to move their tongues and harvest their mouth so they could project. Everybody says, Terry, you do that every Sunday. No, anyway, you sound like you got a mouth full of marbles. <laughs> okay. Paul didn't take any. Why? He knew that the message was more important than the money. The professionals will say he doesn't even belong with us. He shouldn't even be standing with us. He's an amateur. And you have an amateur standing with the pros. His presence was unimpressive. And his speech was contemptible. You, Corinthians, should be suspicious of this man. Because he won't charge you for what he's saying. If he won't charge you, then how much is it actually worth? Have you ever thought about that? Well, if Paul doesn't think it's worth nothing, why should you? See? If Paul won't put a price on his preaching, then it must be worthless. And you know what? Paul makes it clear. That he has no flair. He has no creativity. He isn't fancy. He doesn't have any pizzazz. There's nothing clever. He has only a very simple and a very straightforward message. Just plain. It was the subtlety of the accusation. And guess what? That accusation had some power. And it was doing damage. And the Apostle Paul is confronting that at this time. 
If he had something to say and it was worth anything, he would charge it. And the more he charges you for it, the more it is worth. We don't fall into that, do we? Because if you start thinking about it, you say, well, nobody's going to do that. Really? Really? I have a friend who does security down at the event center in Colorado Springs. Okay, he, he, he makes sure that the security detail is all taken care of. They had a conservative something down there. And they had um, Condoleezza Rice, Colin Powell, Vice President Cheney, uh, Norman Schwarzkopf, and uh, can't remember who else it was. But they were all speakers in, a, in an afternoon and evening. Okay, the following weekend, they had the, the great Reverend Benny Hinn. And he said, Benny Hinn had a larger security detail than the group the week before. Why is that? Why is that? You've got the vice pre- ex-vice president, the ge- general of... Op- Enduring freedom or freedom or whatever on it was. Uh, you got Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, and their de- security detail was smaller than Benny Hinn. What's wrong with that picture? He has to put a he he puts the price on himself, saying that it's worthless, and that would be the Greek culture. Guess what, brothers and sisters. That's the American culture. I know a guy right now, okay, that every 30 minutes on the planet Earth, his preaching is heard all the way around the globe. Every 30 minutes. Okay? He's written a handful of books, too. But you know what I found out about him? When he goes to speak, he never takes a dime. Not only does he not take a dime, he refuses to allow anybody to pay for his air travel or his housing. He pays it all himself because he wants to be above reproach. Listen, cultures, whether it's the Greek culture of the writing of the New Testament, whether it is the Greek culture of the Hellenistic Jew or Hellenistic Greeks, whether it is the Greek culture of Socrates, they measure the importance and the value of the philosophy, the philosopher and the speaking by the fee that he charges. And we still do it today. But that is the subtlety of it. The more we can get... For his speaking, the more valuable what he says is worth. Really? They're professional speakers. And you know what? The basics of it is this. They're selling their wisdom. Think about that for a second. You guys have watched the news here lately. They were selling their wisdom. And their wisdom was lies. And yet they spent good money for it. Actually, they spent my money for it. Do you see that? And it hasn't changed. I was reading Socrates. And the guy who was sort of like uh, his mentor. I can't pronounce his name. It doesn't have enough vowels in it. Said that he had to set his price high regardless of what he said. Why? 
because it puts value on what you're saying. Listen, the subtlety of our adversary is that by false accusation of what the culture wants, I can condemn what he's saying. They're saying Paul wasn't real. He didn't speak for God. How can he speak for God and not charge for it? How much value is that if you're not going to charge for it? He can't be saying anything profound. His teaching, what is it worth if he's not charging anything for it? He couldn't even charge for his teaching. Listen, I work on motorcycles and an electrician too, okay? People are paying me for my wisdom. That's what they do. Well, he knows how to do this, so I'll pay him to do that. All right. But I do the preaching for the passion of the book. Paul wouldn't accept money for it. How can it be of any value? I've had people that I've worked, done work on their motorcycles or on their houses, and I charge them very little. And the, fir- and the first thing they ask me is, well, did you do it right? Don't worry, I'll charge you more next time. Uh, you know, I, I try to help vets out. I have a heart for vets, not veterinarians. Military. Okay. And so I don't charge them very much. And everybody goes, well, did you do it right? Well, if it falls off, bring it back. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. He had come in, remember, in chapter 9, an offering for Jerusalem. But that's all he was asking for. And he was gathering it from all of the churches that he had planted. A man with a reluctance to even defend himself or his, his, his mission... And he says, at best, I'm an amateur when it comes to public speaking. I've already told you, you guys know this. I don't like speaking in front of crowds. And God has blessed me every time that I've had to speak in front of a big crowd. He puts really bright lights in my face and I only see the front row. And he's done that to me. I did that in Moscow. I did that in L.A. A couple of different other places. I hate crowds. I mean, I just... (laughs) What was you thinking, Lord? I want you to think about this because when it comes, this is a basis of the man's humility. All right? You've got to get a hold of this. There are some wonderful speakers on the planet Earth. You know one of the greatest speakers who could literally hold hundreds of thousands in a speaking engagement? One of the greatest speakers ever known. You know who it was? Adolf Hitler. Great speaker. Hold the crowd. Okay? Listen, the church is full of them. Not Hitlers, but you know what I'm getting at. Everybody's like, what do you mean? There's a bunch of Nazis in the church? No. Joseph Stalin was the same way. So it, it isn't a matter of whether the person is a professional speaker or not. It is, does the man have the humility to say, you know what? No, I am unskilled. I am an amateur. And even when they say there's no way you could be a messenger of Christ and not charge a fee, I can look them straight in the eye and says, no. No. 
See, that was the argument that was being used against the Corinth. Very subtle. Very subtle. But he comes back with this simple statement. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself that I preached for free? See, this drives my wife nuts. But I, sometimes I, I love to, to point this out to her specifically. Sometimes sarcasm is the best defense. <laughs> and that's what the Apostle Paul did here. Did I commit a sin by not charging you for preaching? An ironic sarcasm. I love that stuff. Well, look, it's part two of this next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things you do. And uh, Lord, I just praise you for my brother Paul. Father, there's a longing in my heart to spend time with him. And yet I know that I will be in awe of being in your presence. Lord, uh, I praise you for your word. I praise you for your spirit. I praise you for the amazing things that you have done. Lord, also, I would like to lift Joe and Elena to you. And Father, uh, what a blessed friendship has grown. And Father, uh, what they mean to my heart. And Father, I present them this day holy and pure unto you. Um, and Father, that you will take care of their marriage. And then, Father, you will be glorified in their lives. Father, may our love for you grow with every breath you grace us. Father, may we walk in a manner worthy. Father, may we stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.